Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles and a breakfast cutoff? Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Tonight on Revolt Black News. All of us adults and children have spoke with the police and told them that this woman is crazy. A black mother of four brutally gunned down on her white neighbor's front porch. A family grieving and demanding answers. What I'm asking is for justice. RBN investigates what happens when Karens kill. Plus, childhood cut short. Black children kicked out of school, assaulted, and even killed by adults. They have an unconscious bias towards black children not being innocent. The shocking ways that black children are being robbed of their innocence. As we kick off pride celebrations here in the U.S., some of our brothers and sisters in Africa are facing the death penalty for their sexual orientation. Homosexuals have no space in Uganda. We head across the globe to Uganda, where being gay is a crime punishable by death. And Miss Insecure in the building. Okay, good to meet you. Hollywood powerhouse Issa Rae joins us at the Revolt Studios. What she has to say about always representing LA. I'm rooting for everybody black. Her thoughts on motherhood and her groundbreaking role in the newest Marvel adventure. All that and more as the Black News Revolution starts right now. Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm Mara Escampo. This week, 35-year-old A.J. Owens, a black mother of four, was shot and killed by her neighbor in Ocala, Florida. The neighbor, identified as a 58-year-old white woman, shot Owens through a closed door as Owens stood on the porch and knocked. Will there be justice for A.J. or will support from the white community in Florida's Stand Your Ground law provide a safe haven for the shooter? Revolt Black News is investigating what happens when Karens kill. What I'm asking is for justice. Justice for my daughter, Ajika Chantrell Owens. The family of Ajika A.J. Owens demanding justice for the mother of four who was shot and killed while defending her children by a neighbor, a woman many in this tight-knit community called Karen. We don't even know her by Susan, we know her by Karen. Every, when I tell you everyone in the neighborhood calls this woman Karen, that is her name. Neighbors say 58-year-old Susan Lorenz earned that nickname after repeatedly harassing neighborhood children simply for playing in a field located next to the unit she's renting. This field um, where the children were playing with, the person who oversaw that field, you know, gave the, the children permission from the neighborhood to play there. And their only requirement was for the children to clean up after themselves. Susan even calling the police on them. I've always felt a sense of fear for my children, and I've always tried to tell them to stay away from her, to stay away from her because she's racist. There's literally like 50 reports of her calling the police. And we have all, all of us adults have spoke, and, and children have spoke with the police and told them that this woman is crazy. Revolt Black News obtained several documents from the Marion County Sheriff's Office dating back to 2021, where Susan called the police on neighbors for everything from knocking on her door to kids screaming while playing football. In February of 2022, Susan and AJ had their first altercation where the police were called. 
The police report stating Susan claimed AJ's dog was on her property and saying AJ picked up a no trespassing sign and threw it at her, leaving a mark. But in the report, police say there were no visible injuries or marks on Susan. It is very accurate that Susan and AJ have had exchanges of words, but that is because of Susan, the racial slurs. Over the course of the next three months, Susan made frequent calls to police claiming she was being harassed. One report even noting that kids and parents keep a wide distance around Susan's residence because they believe she is crazy and starts things for no reason. The police concluding on that report, no evidence of harassment. I have heard Susan call the children N-words. She has called them black slaves. She has told them to go go back to where they have come from and um, what's the word? I don't know, I don't wanna say it like, but endless. The Karen hashtag provides thousands of examples of white women like Susan, who either directly confront black Americans. Into my building. Or threaten to call the police on them. Follow me all the way to my door. The city of Ocala, Florida has a population of just over 65,000 residents. 68% of the population is white and only 20% of the residents are black. But in this majority black community, Susan was a minority, something neighbors believed was a contributing factor in her behavior. Violent altercations with Karens have become all too common for black Americans. And when it happens, there's often a groundswell of support for these white women. In 2018, Officer Amber Geiger killing Botham Jean while he sat on his own couch eating ice cream after she accidentally went into the wrong apartment. After she was sentenced to 10 years in prison, a black court officer comforted Amber by stroking her hair. Botham Jean's brother requested to give her a hug, and the judge gave her a hug and her Bible. I was honored to give her my Bible and gladly gave her a hug. In 2021, Officer Kimberly Potter shot and killed black motorist Dante Wright during a traffic stop in Minnesota. Claiming she mistook her gun for a taser. A GoFundMe set up for Potter's husband and kids has raised almost $50,000. And in the comments, support for the good cops. Will supporters for Susan Lawrence be the next to line up? I definitely believe that this is racial discrimination. Ugh, I'm about to cry. I'm sorry. I'm just thinking about all this. It's just really, just thinking about all of this. It's just, ooh. You know, who can get the picture out of their mind of their their mom lying there lifeless, you know, on the ground? Adrika's oldest son was pivotal in all of this with one, getting help for his mom, but two, calling everyone to um, let them know what happened to his mom. Four days after AJ's death, Susan was arrested for manslaughter with a firearm, culpable negligence, battery, and two counts of assault in the death of AJ Owens. Kim says AJ's mother is currently caring for AJ's children. And as the family continues to seek justice, they will remember AJ as a devoted mother. Ajiko was a single mom of four kids and she loved the kids more than anything in the world. 
Um, she was a team mom. She showed up for them for everything. Her daughter was in cheerleading. All of her kids were in private school and um, she would work two, three jobs to support them. She was very dedicated and loving. Um, they were brought up in a Christian household, went to church all the time, you know, just really all around amazing woman. There's more Revolt Black News Weekly on the other side of the break. Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. Welcome back. What do Tamir Rice, Trayvon Martin, and now Ralph Yarl and Cyrus Carmack Belton all have in common? They are children shot by adults claiming that they felt threatened. Researchers say it may be because of something called adultification, where black children aren't seen as kids for long, but viewed as actually older and bigger than they are. And the ways this impacts black childhood may surprise you. Eleven-year-old Adarian Murray is recovering from a gunshot wound to the chest. You wanted to be a cop. Yes. You still want to be a police officer? No. The child shot by a Mississippi police officer responding to a domestic violence call. The boy's family is saying the cop may have mistaken him for an adult, even though he's not yet five feet tall. I do want to be a doctor now. And that's because doctors save your life. Well... Well, it was not them that saved my life. It was God. Unfortunately, Adarian's case is not isolated. In the past few weeks, three black boys shot by adults who saw them as a threat. 14-year-old Cyrus Carmack Belton shot in the back and killed by a South Carolina gas station owner who claimed the teen had stolen water bottles. The owners of the convenience store suspected him of shoplifting. He did not shoplift anything. 16-year-old music prodigy Ralph Yarl shot by a Kansas City, Missouri homeowner for ringing his doorbell after accidentally going to the wrong house. Why couldn't you call 911? Black boys treated like adult criminals. Hassan, you pulled it out? Uh, this is my bike, it's on my account. Yes. This is my phone. Show me, no, you don't no, have to no. explain nothing to her. Take the case off, that's mine. Literally, get it back. My son has nothing to do with her. Civilians and police officers perceive black children to be significantly older than they actually are. Studies show black boys are viewed as much older than their actual age, often with devastating consequences. And there was a guy 
guy and there was a pistol, you know, I saw his face, but he's like pointing at everybody. Tamir Rice was shot and killed by a Cleveland police officer in 2014 while playing with a fake gun in the park. Um, shot fired, fell down. But the officer didn't see a 12-year-old with a toy. Black male, maybe 20. This adultification affecting virtually every part of black childhood. Get in the car. And I'm going with you. Let's go. Oh, we're going to have problems. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. I don't want to hear it. In 2021, black boys represented half of all preschool students who were suspended or expelled. Thirty-five percent of all K through 12 suspensions are black boys, and in 13 states, they compromised an alarming 65 percent of all school suspensions. They're even treated differently in the media. Michael Brown, a gentle giant, right, a you know on his way to college, was just gunned down by a white racist murderer. When Michael Brown was shot and killed by a police officer in 2014, the Associated Press referred to the 18-year-old as a man. This is our village! But in the Buffalo, New York white supremacist massacre, when 18-year-old Peyton Gendron murdered 10 people with an assault rifle, the same news organization called him a teenager. We've all heard the phrase, boys will be boys. We talk about emerging adulthood for white boys lasting until 25, 26, 27 years old. Whereas a black boy, you know, can't be a boy almost at the age of nine. Black boys are not the only ones whose childhood is cut short. There's a little, little black woman walking and spraying stuff on the sidewalks and trees. That so-called black woman was actually a nine-year-old girl. I don't know what the hell she's doing. It scares me, though. Bobby Wilson was trying to save trees in her neighborhood by spraying invasive spotted lanternflies. Bobby was later honored for her efforts at the Yale School for Public Health and thankfully wasn't arrested. But it easily could have gone another way. I'm not going this nine-year-old black girl was pepper sprayed by officers responding to a family disturbance call. I want my dad Studies show that just like with boys, black girls as young as five years old are also viewed as more adult-like and less innocent than their peers and are five times more likely to be suspended than white girls and four times more likely to be arrested. Black girls are seen as more argumentative, more aggressive, and more violent than their white peers, even if they aren't. Black girls also adultified in another very disturbing way. We are deprived of our innocence at a very young age. Us as a black women, we are overly sexualized on a regular basis. Summer Bond was suspended just days before her graduation for wearing this shirt. The principal telling her if she didn't change clothes, she'd be arrested. I worked so hard for four years to walk across that stage and we have drug dealers walking across that stage and we have sex offenders walking across that stage and then the 4.4 student who shoulder shoulders can't. A white child doesn't have to grapple with that added struggle of navigating racism in America.
we wanted to dig deeper into this issue of adultification, how black children are often seen in this country as bigger, stronger, and older than they really are, sometimes with deadly consequences. So joining me now for some more perspective, board-certified psychiatrist, Dr. Judith Joseph, and executive director of Youth Spark, Jennifer Swain. I appreciate you both for being here to have this really important conversation. And Dr. Judith, I wanna start with you because I'm intrigued about what's happening in the mind of the people who are perceiving these kids as older than they are. So what's actually at play, not only seeing them as older, but in some cases is seeing them as physically bigger than they actually are. We know that unconscious bias is real. So it's really important to be aware of our own biases. A lot of times people see black children as being older than they are because they have an unconscious bias towards black children not being innocent. So when they picture a baby or a child, they picture a white baby. They don't really think about black children as being innocent. And we know this has some serious repercussions. Now, Dr. Judith just mentioned uh, innocence, right? So how does that factor in when we're talking about black girls and this hypersexualization that we can see at, at a very young age? That's absolutely correct. I think that it's very important that we understand that specifically, and call it out by name, that black girls are disproportionately treated differently in the school system, in the juvenile justice system. And when you begin to think about adultification bias in itself, there's plenty of studies that show us that we automatically see black kids, especially black girls, as needing less nurturing that they are more independent, and that even that they know more about adult so topics, including sex. So then, Dr. Judith, how does that play out for the child? So if they're on the receiving end of this bias, where people are treating them like they're older and less innocent and larger, how is that then affecting the child? There was recently a really large study by the Acoma Project where we looked at how these biases affect BIPOC youth. Black children have higher rates of anxiety and depression related to racial injustice and discrimination. And this affects their ability to succeed in life, to have emotional connectedness. And you know, counter to what we really wanna believe, a lot of times it affects the way that we parent our black kids because we're setting them up for this world that is not meant for them. So we're a bit more rough and less gentle in our parenting. So we as parents have to be aware of how these biases affect us in our parenting. Many of the cases that we've seen recently, the adults who you know perpetrated the activity on the kid, whether it's you know shooting them for ringing the doorbell in Ralph Yarl's case um, and others like that, the adults have said that they felt threatened. And someone might say, well, you know, when you see the way that some of these kids are acting on the street, you see a group of teens on the streets, sometimes they do commit terrible crimes. Do you think there's any validity to this idea that some people are legitimately scared of these kids? I don't deny that we have a crime problem and that we have a gun violence problem. But when you take that out and then you only uh, put it in one portion to blame one set of children without looking at it on both sides, then we're going to find ourselves in a secular conversation and we're never going to give and put root to what the problem is. Young black kids are seen as a threat because of the color of their skin and because of what they're wearing. And we have to understand what that's rooted in. And until we're ready to talk about how systemic racism shows up in our school system, in our court system, and in our communities, um, then we're gonna have a problem. Yeah, Mara, the fear comes from the unknown. We know from human psychology, people are afraid of what they don't know. The reason people are afraid of black children is because they don't know black children. That's where media comes into play. 
the more you expose the world to different faces of black children, not just the coming of age of the rough child growing up in the hood, that's all they know. And that that's shame on the media. As long as we are telling stories about black children, that they can be innocent, that they have these innocent coming of age stories too, and we expose the world to the unknown that they don't know just yet, it'll change the narrative. People will be less afraid. So then, Dr. Judith, how do we counter this problem as adults, as parents, as people who love and care for black children and want the best for them? How do we handle this? Younger children know the differences between skin color. So you don't have to shield them from that. Use great books. There are wonderful books that are age appropriate to talk about the differences in cultures, in race, in racism, right? That people are treated poorly because of the way that they look. Children understand this. So we can teach our children even from a young age, but we do it in a way that's developmentally appropriate. And all children need to be heard. Just listen to them. Sometimes as parents, we want to jump in and fix the problem. We just need to listen to our children, meet them where they are. And we want to make sure that we're empathic and they don't feel like this is their fault, that they're loved, that they're protected. There's a lot more work to be done, but the two of you are doing very, very important work, and we appreciate that, and we appreciate you being here. Uh, Jennifer Swain and Dr. Judith Joseph, we appreciate your perspective today. Well, after the break, while we're celebrating Pride Month here in the U.S., one country in Africa has enacted some of the harshest anti-gay laws in the world, and members of the gay community are literally fighting for their lives. How did we become refugees in our own countries? That's coming up next. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Here in the U.S., we've just kicked off Pride Month with millions celebrating their right to love whoever they want. And all of the progress the LGBTQTIA community has made over the last several decades. But in Uganda, things are taking a dangerous turn in the opposite direction, away from acceptance and protection, with authorities enacting laws so extreme that being gay could lead to the death penalty. I can tell you, Madam Speaker, we are going to reinforce the law enforcement officers to make sure that homosexuals have no space in Uganda. Two months ago, members of Uganda's parliament celebrated the passing of some of the harshest anti-LGBTQ laws in the world. This is the time you're going to show us whether you're a homo or you're not. And on May 29th, Uganda's Anti-Homosexuality Act of 2023 became official, signed into law by Uganda's president, Yoweri Museveni. This issue of homosexuality is a very serious issue because it is an issue of the human race. The penalties, life in prison if convicted of homosexuality, up to 20 years for the promotion of homosexuality, seven years in prison for landlords who rent to homosexuals, and the death penalty for, quote, aggravated homosexuality, which includes the transmission of HIV through sex acts with children and disabled people, or of having sex with anyone deemed under threat. Despite scientific research that says otherwise, at the root of these laws is the belief that homosexuality is unnatural. It's not genetic, it's not hormonal, it's a type of like a sickness. 
So the attacks are coming in us that are in hiding. We continue getting death threats. They continue telling us they are going to get to us and behead us. So right now the community is in great, great, great danger because of the Anti-Homosexuality Act 2023. Stephen Kabuye, activist and co-founder of Truth LGBTQ, speaks to us from his apartment in the Ugandan capital city of Kampala, where he fears for his life. So someone could come and tell you, you know, Steve, you guys don't deserve to be with us. You know, you irritate us, you deserve to be beheaded. So they forced us to go into the closet once again, yet we had moved out of the closet. Stephen shared with us these disturbing photos of his colleague Chantal Marungi in the hospital. My friend Chantal was attacked, beaten up on the way on the way from work. Right now he is recovering. He can't walk on his own. He needs support to walk. I thank God that he's now conscious again. But despite such horrific violence against those he loves, Stephen is willing to speak out, hoping to inspire others to rise up against hate. The message I send out there is people should embrace love and humanity. That is the only way we're going to change this world. That is the only way we're going to lead this world to the next generation. Because when you embrace humanity and love, there is no way you're going to be homophobic. Anti-gay sentiment has been building in Uganda for decades, and this new law has been percolating since 2009, when it was first proposed and referred to as the infamous Kill the Gays Bill. In 2014, the Anti-Homosexuality Act was first signed into law before being struck down by the courts. We are the children of the rainbow flag. The 2015 documentary, And We Still Rise, profiled LGBTQ activists in Uganda as they celebrated Pride Month and opened the country's first LGBTQ clinic in the wake of that law. Guys, we are officially opening and launching the first Pride Week at Gay Film Festival in Uganda. But such optimism was short-lived. In 2019, four LGBTQ activists were murdered within three months, including Brian Waswa, a 28-year-old who was attacked while at home. Many LGBTQ Ugandans were forced to flee the country and seek asylum. You are arresting us for literally doing nothing, for simply existing, you know? But where are we supposed to go? How did we become refugees in our own countries? Uganda isn't alone in its message of hate. While same-sex marriage was legalized in the U.S. in 2015, same-sex relationships of any kind remain criminalized in 64 countries around the world. Over half of them are in Africa, and the penalties range from imprisonment to the death penalty. When we start putting a death penalty to our fellow black people because they love different, imprisoning them for life because they love different. It's like we're going back to those ages where we fought for slave trade, where we fought for recognition as human beings. It's devastating that this law was signed by the president. The response of the international community has been swift. United Nations Human Rights Chief Volker Turk urging Uganda's court to once again strike it down. I hope that the judiciary is going to look into it 
And I can tell you, if they look at human rights law, their own constitution, they will find it in violation of it. President Biden called for its immediate repeal, saying the law is a tragic violation of universal human rights, one that is not worthy of the Ugandan people and one that jeopardizes the prospects of critical economic growth for the entire country. In response, the U.S. has also revoked visas for Ugandan ministers and threatened to withdraw over $1 billion in aid, much of it spent on health care and HIV prevention. I thank the international community for its solidarity with us, but I think condemnation is not enough. I want the international community to put the sanctions in place, not only condemn, open its borders to person, to people like us that are in grave danger right now. But while our government threatens sanctions against Uganda, more than 20 U.S.-based conservative Christian rights groups have spent $54 million to spread homophobia across Africa. Among them are World Congress of Families, Fellowship Foundation, which sent more than 20 million to Uganda alone and are behind the 2009 Kill the Gays bill, and Family Watch International, whose founder Sharon Slater met with President Museveni and his wife, the First Lady, Janet. From that visit, the First Lady of Uganda came out and updated his Twitter on how she met Sharon Slater, the head of Family Watch International. And in their discussion, they discussed how homosexuality is a danger to the families in Uganda and called upon all Ugandans and all the legislators in parliament to work hand in hand to abolish homosexuality in Uganda. However, Family Watch claims that they did not at any time lobby the president and first lady to pass the law and that they pleaded with the Ugandan president to offer deprogramming for homosexuals by including, quote, a safe haven clause whereby people with unwanted same-sex attraction can voluntarily come forward to ask for help without fear of being arrested or penalized. It appears that Museveni heeded their plea. Nearly being suspected of being is not an offense in itself. You are a person to be helped if you want if you can be if you want help. Because it was it was said that some of the people can be helped to go to, to get back to normal. Meanwhile, the estimated one million members of Uganda's gay population stay inside, hidden in the shadows. I I can't tell you when I last saw sunshine. I only get out of the house at night. Right, I can't move out during day. I'm in fear for my life. My life is detained daily. I'm, I'm out of cash. I'm out of what to eat. I might end up giving myself up to the police so that I don't die of anger. Activists in Uganda have appealed the law, and Stephen Kabuye says he hopes international pressure will push Uganda to ultimately abolish it. Well, coming up after the break. She knew that she had a dark-skinned daughter mm -hmm. and she wanted me to see myself reflected and me to know that, that I was beautiful. Issa Rae is stopping by. Our Kennedy Rue is talking to the multi-talented actor, writer, and producer. That's when we come back. Who needs an alarm in the morning when McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles? And a breakfast cutoff. Ba da ba ba ba. Welcome back. It's an interview. Get it, Kennedy? It's an Issa. 
You sat down with the one and only Issa Rae. I am dying to hear about this conversation. Yes, Mara, that's right. Issa's already listed as one of Time 100's most influential people, and after sitting down with her here in Revolt Studios, I completely understand. This Hollywood powerhouse is on a mission. We talked about her career, how she represents for Black women, even some of her thoughts on motherhood. I got a good glimpse into the world according to Issa Rae. Where'd you get that confidence to just stand up for your beliefs no matter what, to not conform to that pressure to change, to just keep going and have full faith in your product? I think I'm generally hard-headed. My mom used to always say that I'm hard-headed, but a lot of my strength and confidence does come from her. Always be proud to be Black, and um, to me that just has never wavered. To truly appreciate what Issa has done as a show creator, you have to look at what came before her. Back in the 70s, shows like Good Times and Sanford and Son centered around the Black urban experience. But they were created or produced mostly by white men. It wasn't until 1993 that Yvette Lee Bowser became the first black female show creator with Living Single. And it's been over 20 years since Mara Brock Akil gave us girlfriends. We're just backup singers in a little ditty called Her World. I bet she doesn't even remember our names. Tony, girl, you are tripping. Shoot, maybe you're just forgettable. Enter Issa Rae, the daughter of a Southern California doctor dad and a school teacher mom. At 38, she is at the forefront of a new wave of black female voices. From Quinta Brunson to Robin Thede, who are focusing on everyday genzennial black experiences. It sounds like you said we should start before we march. Do you feel like there is a space now for black women to just be normal? Or do we always have to be exceptional in the eyes of TV and film for our stuff to get produced? I think we have called for it, so there is space mm -hmm. for sure. Like I think about, you know, Harlem's on the air. But I will say that the that mm -hmm. may shift again. We're gonna have to start proving why our stories are worth telling again. I'm rooting for um, everybody black. While the whims of Hollywood may change, Issa's love and commitment to stories focused on black people runs deep. What? What did I say? From her days at Stanford University in the early 90s, rolling cameras with classmates, to her popular YouTube series, The Misadventures of Awkward Black Girl, which would eventually become the premise for her 14-time Emmy-nominated HBO series, Insecure. Issa Rae explores our cultural experiences in a way that only we know. It just gotta be fun, sexy, in your face, you know? And through her company, Hooray, she's also executive produced a black lady sketch show and HBO's rap shit. Freestyle all up and down my timeline. I'll take y'all to the next level. Everything you've been a part of is based on you promoting being unapologetically black. Yeah. Was there ever a time where you felt like you had to dilute our identity to kind of conform to what either studios want or what people are buying in terms of television or film? Early on in my career when I was trying to break in, I would say black creators who had been through, mm. or I would say black producers who had been through the process, they were just like, you know, add a white character, you gotta make it multicultural, like all these coded things. Right. Because they were speaking on their struggle. Mm -hmm. And part of me resented that because I, in, in hindsight, 
I didn't realize that they were trying to look out for me, right. you know, and right. trying to help me. But for me, it just felt like kind of hatery in mm -hmm. a way. And so I think because I resented that, it just made me indignant in, in terms of making sure that like I wholly represented black characters. Mm -hmm. Wait a minute, there's an elite crew with all the best spider people in it? Now, her representation of black characters moves into the Marvel Universe. We don't know the sex yet. My husband wants it to be a surprise. He's really corny. Issa is making history as the first actress to play a pregnant superhero in the animated box office hit, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. It's a role that changed her perspective. Does she reflect the present-day black shiro? Not superhuman, superhero qualities. I think it's special that they decided to make her pregnant. They took like mm -hmm. the arc from the comics mm -hmm. to, to attribute it to this particular story. And I think it's gonna open people's eyes to like the magicness of pregnant women. I had to confront my own biases towards pregnant women because right. I think that, you know, they are so fragile and in a sense they are. Right. But like, they're still working up until the minute. Like for me, that's also been a source of why I haven't like pursued that avenue just yet because right. I'm just like, I'm gonna have to stop everything I'm doing. And I think it's cool that you have a literal superhero who's just like, I'm still gonna be fighting crime and, mm -hmm. you know, getting things done with this baby, with this baby in tow. And though a baby isn't on her horizon right now, Issa Rae stays booked and busy. Not only is she fighting crime in Spider-Man, she's representing powerful black women in the doll world too, starring as the president Barbie in the Barbie movie. She even has her own doll. Yep. President Barbie, I bow before you and the sash. You play Barbie president. Yes. You said growing up it was important for your mom that you had black Barbies. Mm -hmm. Talk to me about why that representation was important and now you actually being the black Barbie, how that representation feels to you that little girls can now look at you and see that. My mom was, I think that they grew up, her generation for sure grew up with that. Um, the doll test implanted in their minds. For sure. Just little girls, little black girls, not wanting to to play with, with black dolls. dolls. Yes, yeah. the darker dolls and just yeah. being unsettled by that. And she knew that she had a dark-skinned daughter mm -hmm. and she wanted me to see myself reflected and me to know that that I was beautiful. For Ray, her huge success is a vehicle to give back to the community that made her. With an empire that includes a production company, a hair care line, multiple coffee shops, and plans to build a studio in South Los Angeles, what Issa hasn't done is forgotten her South Los Angeles roots. Issa, you're credited with changing the perception of South LA through your shows because I feel like we get to see the all-encompassing reality of the place in which we live. It's connected to me, that's where my grandparents lives, where I grew up. You're now a major investor in that area. Talk to me about why that was so important for you. I just, you know, strongly believe in investing in our own neighborhoods. Like, you know, seeing the neighborhoods that shaped me, driving through the streets where, you know, I caught the bus to school or, you know, saw my first crush. I thought I, I went away after school to New York mm -hmm. and thought I wanted to live out there, but coming back home made me appreciate LA so much more and all that there is to offer here, whether it was my own community, my my, my friends, um, the church I went to, so many things yeah. I tapped into uh, to just become, you know, who I am today.
Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse opened at number one at the box office with more than $120 million and set a record for the second highest movie opening day of 2023. Kennedy, I have literally been a fan since her YouTube series, Awkward Black Girl. I am a true day one, so I'm loving this rise to superstardom. Thank you, Kennedy. Make sure you come right back. After the break, we're switching gears. I have some thoughts to share on Florida's open season on Black people. If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. Bada -ba -ba -ba. At participating McDonald's. Welcome back. Before we go tonight, I have one final word on the story of the black mother killed in Florida. These are very dangerous times for black people in America. Why? Anti-black rhetoric is increasingly being normalized at the same time that gun laws are being loosened. Take Florida, for example, where Governor DeSantis has declared a quote, war on woke, AKA blackness, and also just made it legal to carry a concealed firearm without a permit. In today's America, racists are being empowered both figuratively and literally. And that will lead to a lot more black families burying their loved ones as Owens's kids are doing right now. Well, that wraps it up for us. Remember to stay connected with us on Facebook, Twitter, Revolt on YouTube, our Revolt Black News podcast, and download the Revolt app. Until next time, good night, everyone. Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before.